question. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 4. We're in this series called King of Kings. We're going to jump right into it. If you have the Bible app or if you have a smartphone or tablet, I highly encourage you to download the Bible app. And you can find an event in the Bible app that's Crosspoint Fellowship. And you can follow along um, you can follow along uh, uh, in that Bible app. We're going to read the entire chapter of Daniel 4. Um, and so um, uh, I'm going to jump right into it because it's a long chapter. And so here we go. Chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to those of every people, nation, and language who live in all the earth, <clears throat> may your prosperity increase. I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders the Most High God has done for me. How great are his miracles, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is, a, is an internal kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. It's as if King Nebuchadnezzar knew that Daniel was writing these memoirs of, of things that God was doing, and he said, no, 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 let me have your scroll. Let me write some stuff. And so he started writing some stuff, and if you've been with us in this, in this series, or you just know the stories of Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar, you're like, wait a minute, is this the same guy who took young men from their homeland, completely destroyed their homes and their city and their, and their system of worship and brought them into a foreign land, the land of Babylon, in order to be in this young man program to teach them all the ways of Babylon? Yes, it's the same King Nebuchadnezzar. It's the same King Nebuchadnezzar that threatened to tear all of his top advisors limb from limb. It is the same King Nebuchadnezzar that Paul looked at last week that, that, that threw three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, into the fiery furnace, and his strongest men died while doing that, and whatever. Now he's praising God? What's humorous about all of this, or kind of ironic about all of this? <laughs> All of our Sunday school stories that we talk about with Daniel involve tearing from limb to limb, people thrown into fiery furnace, and getting mauled by lions, but we don't talk about how King Nebuchadnezzar comes to know God in Sunday school. Like, this is more of a children's story than the other three, right? Hey, kid, we're going to talk about how people are mauled by lions if they don't believe in God. Sit down. Here's a flannel board for you. So how did he come to believe in God? How did, he, how did he get from somebody far away from God to somebody who believes in God? We're going to have the lesson of Daniel this morning. We're going to have the lesson of Nebuchadnezzar, but tying both of those lessons together is one question. How does somebody get far away from God to knowing God and to be in a relationship with Him? Verse 4, <clears throat> I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my, in my palace. I had a dream and it frightened me. While in my bed, the images and visions in my mind alarmed me. So I issued a decree to bring all the wise men of, of Babylon to me in order that they might make the dream's interpretation known to me. When the diviner priests, mediums, Chaldeans, and astrologers came in, I told them the dream, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. 
finally, Daniel named Belshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods in him came before me. I told him the dream, Belshazzar, head of the diviners, because I know that you have a spirit of the holy gods and that no mystery puzzles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I saw and its interpretation. At this point in time, King Nebuchadnezzar couldn't uh, articulate it the correct way, but he knew something was different about Daniel, right? He told him, look, you have the spirit of the holy gods in you. He didn't know how to articulate it correctly, but he knew something was different about Daniel. How did he know this? Back in Daniel chapter 2, when, when King Nebuchadnezzar had, had, had this frightening dream, and he demanded, hey, all of my wise men, you must tell me the dream and the interpretation, or I'm going to rip you limb from limb. And Daniel ended up telling the dream and the interpretation to save all the wise men. At the end of all this story, King Nebuchadnezzar said, I am going to make you number two in my kingdom. And Daniel said, no, I tell you what, make my three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a team of number two in your kingdom, and then I will stay as a counsel to my king. In the marketplace world, this would be as if Tim Cook, CEO of, of, of Apple, made somebody, you are number two of Apple. Whatever you decide, I am the only one that can veto those decisions. And that person says, you know what, make my buddy number two in Apple and I am going to be your personal assistant. Nobody does that, right? Nobody makes that decision, right? All the money, all the prestige, all the fame, all the glory, everything that surrounds themselves with being number two, nobody's going to say, no thanks, I am instead going to be your personal assistant. But Daniel did. Daniel served this king directly. This king that ripped him from his home. This king that potentially made this decision uh, to kill his parents. He decided, I'm going to stay as a counsel to my king. And he became known as the chief of all wise men. And, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar was able to say of Daniel, the spirit of the Most High God is on him. There is something about this guy that is different. How do we see the King Nebuchadnezzars in our life come to know God? Serve them. But you don't know them. If Daniel can serve King Nebuchadnezzar, what prevents us from serving somebody else? If Jesus can serve us on the cross, what prevents us from serving somebody else no matter who they are? I said it before, I'll say it again. Jesus does not approve of any of our lifestyles, but He yet served us on the cross. Approving of a lifestyle is not the, the, the lowest common denominator to serving somebody. There is not a human on the face of this earth that you approve of them completely and wholeheartedly. I know some of you guys are like, I'm going to get brownie points. My wife, buddy. My wife, pal. Come on, man. Okay, if, you, if you're willing to go there, let's put a webcam in your home. For 24-7 internet access to inside your home, and let's see how often you agree with her. But I really hope you still serve her. And vice versa. 
there's not a human being on the face of this earth that we completely agree with. No doubt Daniel did not agree with King Nebuchadnezzar. But what did he do? He was his personal confidant and assistant and served him. The story right before this one that Daniel penned in his own hand was the story about how this king threw his three buddies into the fiery furnace. But he still served King Nebuchadnezzar. You want to see, Dan, you want to see King Nebuchadnezzar's in your life come to know Christ? God is pursuing hearts. You do not pursue hearts by making a war on belief systems and actions. You pursue hearts by love and serving. And God is wanting to use every single one of us with the Spirit that He has put inside of us, with the gifts of the Spirit that He has placed inside of us, to pursue people's hearts. Not their beliefs and not their actions. Their hearts. And that is a war waged on a completely different battlefront. It's a war waged by love and service. I told, um, in the visions of my mind, verse 10, as I was lying in bed, I saw this. There's a tree in the middle of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew large and strong. Its top reached to the sky and it was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit was abundant, and on it was food for all. Wild animals found shelter under it. The birds of the air lived in its branches, and every creature was fed from it. As I was lying in my bed, I also saw in the visions of my mind an observer, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called out loudly, cut down the tree and chop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit, let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it. In the tender grass of the field, let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share the plants of the earth with the animals. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal for seven periods of time. This word is by decree of the observers. The matter is a command from the holy ones. This is so the living will know that the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of men. He gives it to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of men over it. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation because none of the wise men in my kingdom can make the interpretation known to me. But you can because you have the spirit of the holy gods. The point, the point is that last statement of the dream. The point for King Nebuchadnezzar and the point for all of us is the last statement in the dream. Did you catch it? This is so the living will know that the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of men. He gives it to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of men over it. Our culture, the number one value of our culture is our individuality. We swim in the ooze that is you as a person are the highest of the food chain. There's nothing greater than you. One of the days that I was studying this, I was listening to a playlist of all songs about how we're the greatest. 
So then we try and build our kingdoms. It doesn't mean just governmental kingdoms. Our own personal kingdoms. Our family kingdom. Our work kingdom. The owner of our business kingdom. Our hobbies. Our sports kingdoms. Our image as kingdom. We try to build our own kingdoms. And what happens when we build our own kingdoms is that we clench tightly to our own kingdoms. And by golly, nobody better come after our kingdom. That's what King Nebuchadnezzar did. He built his own kingdom. He was the world-dominating tyrant. And God is on pursuit after his heart. That's what these first four chapters are all about, is the pursuit of God for the heart of King Nebuchadnezzar. And in order for God to break through his heart, he had to break through that King Nebuchadnezzar was not the greatest. And his kingdom was not the greatest. God was telling him, I am the ruler over all kingdoms, whether that be governmental or whether that be our own personal kingdoms. I am the ruler over all kingdoms. And what does he say? He gives it to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of men over it. King Nebuchadnezzar, you're the lowliest of men. Look, compared to God, every human being is on the same plane. None of us are greater than the other when we compare ourselves to God. It's like God is up on the Empire State Building. And all of us are standing below looking up Who cares if you're the tallest person on the earth, right? What good is it when you're talking about trying to get to the top of the Empire State Building? He gives us dominion over His kingdom. Genesis 1 and 2. He gives us dominion. He allows us to be stewards over what He has given us, but He is still ruler over all. And he tells us, so don't clench so tightly to this kingdom that you have, think you have built and that you think is the greatest. Because if we do that, bad things will happen. Then Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar, was stunned for a moment and his thoughts alarmed him. The king said, Belshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered, my lord, may the dream apply to those who hate you and its interpretation to your enemies. Look, remember, Just last chapter. Daniel's three buddies were thrown in a fiery furnace by this guy. But Daniel still cares for King Nebuchadnezzar. Let that be a shocker. Right? Let that settle into our hearts. That Daniel was playing on a completely different playing field than what we play on. The tree you saw which grew large and strong, whose top reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it the wild animals lived and its branches the birds of the air lived. That tree is you, the king, for you have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown and it even reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the ends of the earth. Look, when we build our own kingdoms, when we think we build our own kingdoms, Visible results and visible growth is all that matters. And that's what we will cling to. That's what we will make to be the greatest. 
and that we think will be, is, is, is what makes people the greatest. But here's what God is saying through this. God gives visible prosperity and visible growth to whomever he wants. It doesn't matter if they're righteous or unrighteous. It doesn't matter if they, if they worship God or they give the middle finger to God. He will give visible growth and prosperity to anybody and everybody. So that is not the measure of greatness. But if we think we build our own kingdoms, that will be to what we cling to, and that will be to what our image is clings to. And therefore, if we don't have it, bad things happen. The king saw an observer, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it and the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share food with the wild animals for seven periods of time. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the sentence of the Most High that has been passed down against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of men and He gives it to anyone He wants. Insanity will come upon you. If you clench too tightly to your kingdom. You will have a mind of a beast if you clench too tightly to your kingdom. Is there hope? This is the Gospel here. The next is the Gospel. Wait, we're in the Old Testament. The Gospel is all over the Old Testament as well. It's for the command to leave the tree stump with its roots. Your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, may, it, may my advice seem good to you, my king. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. Daniel is trying to tell the king, look, this dream can be prevented. It can be prevented if you repent. You're holding tightly to your kingdom. You think your kingdom is the greatest. But God has simply given it to you to have dominion, to be a steward over this kingdom for this period of time. Let go of your kingdom. And grab on to the enduring kingdom. See, when... when when it said your kingdom will be restored to you, that word restored isn't quite accurate. It actually means endure. It's fascinating, isn't it? See, what, what, what God is saying to King Nebuchadnezzar is this. Your kingdom, if you go through this repentance, when you look up and recognize that the Most High is the one that is the true King, He is the King of kings, when you realize that, and let go of your kingdom, you will find a kingdom that will endure. Gospel in the Old Testament. 
When you let go of your kingdom here on earth and grasp a hold of a kingdom that will endure, you will find a kingdom that is greater because you will find a kingdom that will endure. Whatever kingdom we are trying to build here, it will be passed on to somebody else or thrown away or burned up. Or your kids will blow it as their inheritance. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? So why cling to it? Why? It's just a job. It's just a family. It's just money. It's just an image. None of it will endure. Cling to the kingdom that will. And we find that kingdom through repentance. We find that kingdom by letting go of our kingdom and saying, God, all I want is Your kingdom. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon. The king exclaimed, is this not, first of all, a year later, right? A year later. Is this not Babylon the Great that I have built by my vast power to be a royal residence and to display my majestic glory? While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people to live with wild animals and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the, the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of men and He gives to anyone He wants. At that moment, the sentence against Nebuchadnezzar was executed. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. If we grasp a hold of our kingdom because we think it is the greatest, it will drive us to insanity and it will drive us to act like beasts. Like, nah, that's for King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm on the front lines of seeing what happens to parents who think little Johnny or little Sally is the greatest soccer player ever on the face of the earth. As a soccer referee, I experienced that yesterday. As a professional soccer referee, I see what happens when grown adults tie their image to their team and think that they're the greatest. I get to hear that firsthand. I won't repeat what they say in church. Teachers, do you not see what happens firsthand when parents tie their image to little Johnny and little Sally? And when a less than A grade comes through, have you not read comments on like KY3's news articles? Have we not read Facebook comments or Twitter comments where people are acting beastly towards one another. This literally happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, but we are going through a beastly culture. 
Why? Our kingdom is the greatest. And don't think that happens out there and not in here. When we think that visible growth and prosperity is the measure of greatness, we're holding on too tight. Somebody would, to- would have told me six months ago that, that I was holding on too tight and that, this was, that I was thinking that this was a measure of greatness. I would have thought that they were crazy. But I went through a process this past summer where insanity happened. And it hurt, and it hurt people. We're all susceptible to pride. Pride is the number one enemy to human beings. We think we're God. We would never say it out loud. That would be blasphemous, wouldn't it? But we think we're God. And this insanity is a um, checkup. Tune-up to knowing if we're clenching too tight to things of this earth. But it's also a journey, isn't it? Because I've come to find out as soon as um, God works through one aspect of pride in my life, what does He do? He moves on to another one. (laughs) That's why repentance is grace. Right? Repentance is grace because that's where we find forgiveness that's why we, where we find the freedom of clinching on to the enduring kingdom and letting go of our kingdom it produces freedom and it produces peace and it produces hope because it doesn't matter who we serve now on the face of this earth because i serve a king that endures and whatever happens to me on the face of this earth whatever I serve a king and a kingdom that endures. What's the worst thing you could do to me? Kill me? Yay! With God now! <laughs> Win-win! Woo-hoo. We act like this physical body is the greatest. Have we looked in the mirror lately? Anyway... At the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, you know what's interesting? This dawned on me last night. This is fascinating. After King Nebuchadnezzar grabbed a hold of the eternal kingdom, he stopped calling himself King Nebuchadnezzar. I think there's a lesson there. Looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. (laughs) I think there's a lesson there too. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And He does what He wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can hold back His hand or say to Him, what have you done? That time my sanity returned to me and my, 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 my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom and even more greatness came to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the King of heaven because of all of His works and are true and His ways are just. 
He is able to humble those who walk in pride. What a last sentence. Next week we'll move on to chapter 5. And we'll see that King Nebuchadnezzar is done. We don't know about his death, physical death. These are the last words about King Nebuchadnezzar. Isn't that fitting? But we still learned about his death, right? I've let go of my kingdom to grab a hold of an eternal kingdom. That's what Jesus called death. Dying to self. Taking up your cross and following me. The lesson of Nebuchadnezzar is this. Let go to grasp a greater kingdom. The lesson of Daniel is this. To see King Nebuchadnezzar's come to know Christ, you've got to serve them and love them. That's the lesson of Daniel. Pride is an ongoing battle for all of us because we are still human. And repentance isn't a one-time thing. It's a continual act in the continuous state of our heart. And God battles with our hearts, but also pursues our hearts. What battle is He waging in your heart this morning? And who can you serve to see them come to know Christ? Imagine. Imagine. A culture who has laid down their kingdoms to grab the eternal kingdom. And it starts with us. Right here and right now. What kingdom are you, what kingdom am I, am I going to hold on to? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. So hard to let go of our kingdom. We have so many, but what if? So many reasons not to. Help us. Persuade us. <laughs> Pursue us to let go, to find a greater kingdom. Help us to be like Nebuchadnezzar and letting go and like Daniel to pursue hearts. Move in us. In your name we pray. Amen.